It took the United States Congress 16 years to finally endorse a national holiday for Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. But it finally happened. In Birmingham, in Alabama, several thousand people marched in a city where once they faced dogs and water cannon. There were large and small events in many cities, all intended to keep the dream alive. The holiday was not observed everywhere. In some states, schools and businesses did not close. And there were echoes of the ugliness as well. In Buffalo, New York, a statue of Dr. King was whitewashed overnight. Welcome to a Penn Arts and Sciences presentation marking the 30th anniversary of the first observance of Martin Luther King Jr. Day as a federal holiday in the United States. The bill proposing the holiday was first introduced four days after King's assassination in 1968. It wasn't voted on until 1979, however, when it fell five votes short of the number needed for passage. After a grassroots campaign led to the largest petition to Congress in U.S. history and icons like Stevie Wonder raised awareness in popular culture, the bill finally passed and was signed into law by President Ronald Reagan in 1983. We spoke with Camille Charles, Edmund J. and Louise W. Kahn term professor in the social sciences, professor of sociology, Africana studies, and education, and director of the Center for Africana Studies about the holiday and the progression of social movements like Black Lives Matter. The King holiday is the first and really only instance in our calendar of formally acknowledging and celebrating um, a piece of American history that is especially relevant and important for African Americans. I had always been shocked and remained shocked, you know, that there were states that still didn't recognize the holiday, you know, well into the 90s. Um, but I mean, I think part of it is just a long history that we've had about not wanting to confront the difficult aspects of American history, the uncomfortable pieces of it. And this was certainly one of those that you couldn't celebrate King without also recognizing why King emerges the way that he does. You know, I imagine that a big piece of it is just a difficulty seeing the positive aspect of it, which is that something good came out of all the work that he did in terms of the fight for civil rights. And it's as much about celebrating that, right, and the, the accomplishment and the importance of that accomplishment as part of American history, the way that we celebrate Independence Day or we celebrate, you know, Christopher Columbus um, is actually a pretty emotionally charged and historically charged um, holiday. You know, it's interesting that people will complain about rewriting history when, in fact, you just want to sort of add perspectives to a conversation because everybody comes at it from a different place. And unfortunately, again, because we don't like to confront the negative aspects of how we got here, we have whitewashed that story um, as we have whitewashed a lot of stories. And it does us a disservice. I think, you know, part of not being as far along on that road to the perfect union is not being honest with ourselves and our children about you know, how we got here back then, but also what it is that got us to where we are right this moment.
It's certainly the case that there was a formalized effort by the U.S. government to make King out to be something other than than what he was, um, because I think they saw what he was doing as potentially threatening, um, given just sort of long-held stereotypes and fears about what a motivated and active black populace um, might do. And again, even just kind of acknowledging and making the changes means admitting that we did something immoral, something un-American uh, for long stretches of history that is a di- has always been a difficult thing, I think, for us as a country to confront. Um, and I think with, you know, rank and file Republican Congress people, for example, or even um, Reagan Democrats, they're having to keep a constituency happy and, and they perceive that constituency to be racist and opposed to the idea of celebrating any of this. Obviously, I was old enough to be able to kind of isolate myself from people who would be really kind of hardcore against it. Um, So I just remember kind of in the popular press on the local news and those kinds of things more um, the inconvenience of it, all of the protests and figuring out the calendar. You know, why why are you making it such a big deal in much the way I think you hear people complain now when um, Black Lives Matters protest and they screw up the train schedule or they block the intersection and and you know why why do you have to interfere with my life in order to get this done kind of attitude not really realizing that that's how you get things to change you have to make it as uncomfortable and inconvenient for other people as it is for you i think that there are a lot of people who have been looking for or waiting for, you know, somebody or a few people to fill that void. Whether you're talking about Martin's void or Malcolm's void or the Black Panther Party's void or some combination of that, because I think, you know, most blacks saw aspects in each of those that they could relate to and identify with. Um, And so I think for a long time, people have been looking for individuals or groups of individuals to take that mantle and be the new generation's face of that. And I think that, you know, Black Lives Matter is terrific because it's social media, but it's also grassroots in the sense that the, the founders of Black Lives Matter don't want to be these people who are out in front making all the speeches, doing all the work. They want to empower all of us. I, I think it's critically important that they that these women are young women who live in a variety of statuses that are oppressed. So they don't speak to just one thing and they use the tools that are you know, 21st century tools rather than relying on 1950s and 60s or even 70s kinds of methods so that they speak to, you know, the youngest activists that we have. So, you know, kids in middle school and high school and on college campuses, but also to adults um, and allow them ways to be active and to be and to have their voices heard. I think that there was fairly universal support for the holiday because it really was bigger than him. It's just that our holidays tend to focus on, you know, an individual or a certain kind of individual, if it's veterans or soldiers, um, thinking about Veterans Day or Memorial Day or, um, 
you know, workers, if it's Labor Day, that's the way we've tended to think about our holidays. And he was the person. Um, and at that time, it wasn't going to be a Rosa Parks Day. Um, but if you think about the circles that King moved in, right, that he influenced presidents, then I think it sort of makes sense in the way that, again, we think about some of the other people that we celebrate and elevate. But yeah, I mean, because I'm sure there were people who thought, well, no, maybe it should be Malcolm X and not Martin Luther King. You know, so, so I think there's always going to be discussion about that. But I think at the point of coming to a holiday, that the bigger issue that everybody could get around was that this is the moment to celebrate a piece of our history that is central to and critical for our people and that we did this. You know, it, it's not people would want to say, well, we have Lincoln's birthday that we celebrate and Lincoln signed the Emancipation Proclamation. That doesn't necessarily mean that he felt that slaves were full-fledged human beings that ought not be enslaved and have all of the same rights and privileges as other citizens, right? So this was the person who really was fighting for humanity and, and ultimately lost his life not just fighting for black humanity, but fighting for all humanity. All right-thinking people, all right-thinking Americans, are joined in spirit with us this day as the highest recognition which this nation gives is bestowed upon Martin Luther King, Jr.